Hello, you're listening to Gays Gays, in which we're gay and we gaze into media that's by, for, or about ladies who love ladies. And sometimes we talk about other stuff. I'm Erin, and I'm just a stupid lesbian murderer. And I'm Erin, and it turns out my silly daughter is a lesbian. Yes, she likes women. Yes. You want to know who requested this week's topic? It was me when we first started this podcast. This was one of the first things we ever put on our to-do list. Yeah. (laughs) How did it live up to those expectations? It was a real downer. It sure was. (laughs) Like, tonally, it was as impactful as I remember it, but damn, damn. Yeah, it's very impactful. It's good. I liked it. We're talking about the manga Gunjo which has been since adopted into the Netflix original film, Ride or Die. (laughs) What's that all about? (laughs) You know what? Last week we were talking about watching things on 1.5 speed and whether that's good to do or not. (laughs) I considered it. I have have different feelings about that now that I've watched Ride or Die. Damn. (laughs) Erin, I didn't know it would be two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. It did not need to be that long. It did not. And I was was really feeling the, like, quarantine slash I've been inside for the last two years brain this past week. Mind fog. That's the word. Um, (laughs) Brain fog. And brain fog and i was man it was well we'll talk about it (laughs) (laughs) no just say it it. oh my god like i don't know what it is the cinematography there's so many like very very long shots yeah in some ways i want to appreciate it because i'm like the the director really gave the actors space in order to like act and like portray scenes and there were a couple of shots that I thought were really, really cool, but most of the time it just felt extremely unnecessary. I think the movie's fine, is my is my opinion. Though, I'll just say that up front. Yeah, I'll say that I heard that it was going to be bad, and then Aaron told me that some stuff about it, and I was like, okay, maybe it's not going to be that bad, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, actually, that was about as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay, well, I'm, I guess I'm glad that it, like, lived up to your expectations in that way, but, like... I don't know, I expected it to be worse than it was. I thought it was a oh, okay, yeah. a decently faithful adaptation. And it had a lot of the same flaws that, like, any book-to-movie adaptation is going to have. Yeah, I guess faith- faithful's one thing. I don't know watchable? if it's faithful, though. It's, it's not, like, watchable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't think, I, I, don't... I, I don't think I could watch it if I hadn't read the manga first. I don't think I would have enjoyed yeah. it if I oh just my watched God. it cold. Yes. I don't think that this movie even can be enjoyed without reading the manga first. No. And also, and also like, faithful, yes, story-wise, tonally, no. Tonally weird. And, Again, and okay. Some of the, and the, some of the changes that they made, like, totally ruined the impact of some of my favorite scenes. Yes. I agree with you. But yeah. we, need to, we need to start our deep dive into this. Um, yes. And to start, I want to say that Gunjo and Ride or Die, both of them, do not enter them if you have if you were triggered by any sort of media. I would say, <laughs> like I don't want to say that so broadly, but there's so many possible triggers in this franchise that I think that it is impossible to avoid. You just have to accept that it's going to be like really, really dark, grimy, grungy media. We're going to be yeah. extrapolating all of that here. If you don't want to hear it, tap out. But some of the biggest themes in Gunjo are sexual assault, domestic violence, suicide, murder, accidental death, infant death, 
homophobia, including internalized homophobia and compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah. And difficulties with coming out. Yeah. But overall, I mean, it's just a very gory, graphic, and psychologically gripping series, I would it's say. It's fucking dark. <laughs> I realize that it's it's a part of this era in manga where a lot of very heavy psychological manga with dark themes were starting to really break into the mainstream. Around the same time was when Oyasumi Pum Pum was coming out. As well yeah. as Akunohana, uh, yeah. both of which are widely known as being like incredibly dark themed. And I think that yeah. this was like a, that similar resurgence. Yeah, I would put this on this on a similar level to Poon Poon. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So like if you if you could read Poon Poon, like you could probably read this, I guess. But I would say that this is probably darker. I think, think people apples and oranges. I think it's apples and oranges, and I yeah. think that there are probably a lot of people that would deride Gunjo but praise Oyasumi Poon Poon, and I think that that's wrong. I think mm. that Oyasumi Poon Poon has just a blatant sexism problem. Oh no, I completely it. agree. This is definitely like a damn. It sucks to be a woman sometimes aka all the time <laughs> yes yeah it's it's like oyasumi pum pum is like let me be sexist and yeah gunjo is like damn doesn't sexism okay. suck i'm i'm like, glad that you said that i actually i'd never i've never finished pum pum because i really didn't like it gunjo's gunjo's good i think i i have thoughts about it we've given you your warning incredibly dark themes it get out now while you have the chance listen to this later if you want to read the manga and come back but we're gonna get into it mm -hmm. so gunjo roughly translated means ultramarine the shade of blue mm -hmm. it's a three volume manga that was written by nakamura ching uh, from 2007 to 2012 and nakamura ching is a woman who has a gay flag in her instagram bio <gasps> So we yes, know. Yes, let's go. <laughs> Nine years after its conclusion, in 2021, last year, the Netflix original film Ride or Die, which is based off of Gunjo, debuted. It also is interesting that it sat for so long before getting picked up and made into a live action film. Yeah. One defining characteristic of both the manga and the film is that you don't learn the main characters' names until the very end. And unfortunately, for the sake of our discussion, the manga and the film both use different names for the characters. Yeah. I was referring to them in my notes as main character and lesbian, which is mean, but not totally unfair. I actually have some information to share. So uh, in the manga, the characters are Chiyomi and Soko. In the mm -hmm. movie, they are Lei and Nanai. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, before the names were announced, Nakamura Ching used the nicknames Lezu-san and Megami-san. Oh my god! Um, and let me just say, so Dezu is honestly commonly used as a slur against lesbians in the Japanese oh. language. It's my understanding that at least in the mid-2010s, Bian was an alternative that was less offensive. But I also will say... Us queer people, yeah. we often use slurs as a joke, right? Yeah. And I really doubt that Nakamura Ching meant it with any bad intention. No, I think, yeah, I. And yeah. Um, Megane san just means like Miss Glasses <laughs> because glasses. Soko wears glasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out to all the weebs who knew that. <laughs> what do you think about the choice to not name the characters until the very end? I love it. I think it was so good. 
it took me a while to kind of pick up on it. Um, and then I, I realized that I was like, I do not know these characters' names. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been mentioned. And there's, like, news articles and, like, a new segment on the TV that, like, brings up the characters. But it's, they don't mention them by name. And I think it's really cool because, it like, with us, we're just two people. Like, I don't say your name. Yeah. You know? If you're with mm-hmm. somebody else, you don't really say their your name unless they're, like, on the other side of the house and then even then you might say like hey or whatever or something right Uh, my guess is that she made this decision with a lot of thought behind it to make sure that we focus rather than on who these characters are as people on the actions that they take um and what they're actively going through at the moment Mm -hmm. as well as thinking about like the agency that women and particularly sapphic women have and how people see them as human right like what is yeah. more human than having a name yeah yeah, yeah. i i don't know yeah I, I also enjoyed it and it's also something that i didn't notice until i was like four or five chapters in where i was like mm-hmm. wait a minute like I know. who are these women yeah. it gets you thinking right who are it gets they you thinking yeah totally i think that the film is a pretty faithful adaptation but both the beginning and the ending of the film are drastically different and that the that ridiculously changes the tone. Um, I also, the film also puts things that happen in the plot in a slightly different order, but that doesn't matter quite so much because so much of the manga is told in flashbacks. Yeah. And the film also removes some plot points that I thought were pretty important, which we'll get to. I'm going to give the summary, but in the summary, I'm mainly going to talk about the manga and mm-hmm. I might talk about some areas that the film differs. I'll definitely touch on the differences in the beginning and the ending of the film. And so I'm going to use their manga names for most of this conversation, mm-hmm. if that is okay with you. And uh, yeah, if I, you definitely. hear me switch to the film character names, I'm talking about the film. Okay. So the manga cold opens with Soko, uh, Megane-san, a dark-haired woman <laughs> with glasses, and she's talking on a cell phone to Chiyomi, who is a tall blonde woman who's using a payphone. The narrator panels start with the line, All I had to do was say I love you, and she killed my piece of shit husband for me. Stupid lesbian. In those first two sentences, we can establish the entire scene and like everything mm-hmm. that they're going through, right? Soko yeah. is a heterosexual woman who has enlisted Chiyomi, the woman who's in love with her, to murder her husband, and the deed is already done. They're in the thick of it, right from the start. Yeah. The film, however, opens with Ray, a tall woman with red hair, picking up a man in a bar. They have sex, then she stabs him in the neck, and she cuts open his throat. We then flash back to a time when the two women reconnected after not speaking for a long time. Uh, so, I... This was... This ruined the entire movie. <laughs> it's criminal. Yeah, I mean, so, the scene happens in the manga. It absolutely happens. It, it is happens. framed as a traumatic event. Yes. And you never get a good look at the husband. Yes, you don't. The scene is all about, um, uh, Jiomi. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It's, it's so weird to call them by their names. Um, yeah, yeah it's all about Chiomi. You, like... Also, she's kind of, like, flashing back to the moment, like, just kind of, like, saying bits and pieces of it. Like, you do not get a really clear, like, this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah. And one of the things that made me very, very frustrated from the beginning is that um, there's a line in the movie, Shiomi asks the husband, like, hey, will you give me your wife? And then in the movie, the husband's like, oh, you're a pervert, and I like that. But in the manga, it's, like, very clear that... 
she's like about to kill him and he's like begging for his life and Shiomi's like give me your wife and I'll spare you and then he says something that's so disgusting to her that she's like I can't repeat it to you so go and yeah it's like oh you're a pervert and I like that is like a nothing thing <laughs> yeah you're you're so right it the manga opens with so much tension right in that first line it's like yeah. holy shit she just not only did she just kill a man but the woman she killed the man for thinks so lowly of her right yeah um yeah. the film tries to establish some tension during the actual murder moment which is not where the tension lies in no. this in the series it's so much more impactful and graphic to not like spoon feed it to the audience like yeah like having uh chiomi recount it and not be able to like even explain everything that happened like means so much more than than just showing you what happened yeah the movie has a bad problem with uh telling and not showing I, the movie has a problem with telling but badly i mean showing but badly <laughs> Honestly, kind of, yeah. God. Um, Okay. As I said, most of the story is told through flashbacks. I have put everything into chronological order. So here goes. Cool. Chiyomi and Soko were classmates at a very, very exclusive private high school. Chiyomi was a lesbian and her classmates all knew this. But because she came from an incredibly wealthy family, she never faced too much bullying over it. She didn't have any friends, but she also wasn't excessively bullied for being gay. Soko was the only classmate that would hang around with her. Um, she told the other girls that she didn't really see a problem with hanging around with Chiyomi, even though she was gay and Soko was straight. And Chiyomi fell in love with Soko, and she became kind of a watchful eye over her while they were in school, especially mm -hmm. because Soko was the star of the track team, and Chiyomi would watch her run um, and watch mm -hmm. her win all of her races. She and Soko were walking home from school together one day when Soko stopped and shoplifted new running shoes. Uh, we learn later that this is because she couldn't afford them. And she is tackled by security and she injures her knee. And Chiyomi ends up paying off the employees so that Soko won't be arrested. Soko, however, she's only able to attend their school because she's there on an athletic scholarship. She lives in this tiny old house with her abusive father. And because of her knee injury from getting tackled by security, she's unable to continue to compete in track. And she mm -hmm. loses her athletic scholarship and she's going to have to drop out of school. So Chiyomi decides to pay Soko's tuition because after all, she's rich and she's also in love with her. So why wouldn't she? Right? Right. And Soko insists that she will pay her back one day without necessarily a firm plan for how she's going to do that. But she is like, I will, I will make it happen. After they get out of high school, Soko marries this rich man and she pays Shiomi back even earlier than what they had initially agreed upon. And Soko tells Shiomi that they will never see one another again after this meeting. Yeah. Chiyomi, meanwhile, enters a relationship with a slightly older woman who has her own apartment. And her girlfriend gives her security and she loves her with all of her heart. Um, I mean, her girlfriend loves Chiyomi. <laughs> uh, her <laughs> girlfriend even intends to propose to her. But she also knows that Chiyomi is always going to be in love with her high school crush. And Chiyomi has always felt distant and it's always felt like something is a little off. When it's good, it's great. But there are these moments, right, where she can sense that something's off. Right. 
And but they have three dogs together. I know they have three dogs. Oh. They live in their apartment. They're having what as she, as her girlfriend describes it like a perfect life together, really. Except one night, Chiomi accidentally dials Soko's phone number, and they reconnect and they stay on the phone. Soko asks if they can meet up right then, right like right right now. Like, can we go mm-hmm. somewhere and and meet up right right the second? And Chiomi immediately cancels all of her other plans to go do this. She'd drop anything. Yeah. She had been fighting with her girlfriend anyway. And so. Yeah. And been drinking. So. Yep. She was like, whatever. So when they meet up, Soko reveals that her husband, the very wealthy man that she married, is physically abusive. And she asks Chiomi if she can help her. And she says that if Chiomi doesn't help her and if her husband doesn't die, he's going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, that seems like an accurate assessment. Yeah. The abuse that she's facing from him is very severe, as depicted in both the manga and the film. I guess this is one moment where I should make a little bit of a correction, or at least we Mm -hmm. should talk about this. My understanding of uh, Chiomi and Soko meeting up was they meet up normally one time, and then when Chiomi is dropping Soko off at her house... She then, through the windows, sees um, Soko mm. get thrown against the window, and she hears the shouting from inside when her husband is, like, beating mm-hmm. Soko up, asking where she had been. Right. And that's when they meet again, and it's revealed. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it happens in the manga. And in the film, yeah. they meet up, and Soko tries to... Well, Nanai tries to initiate having sex with Rei, or Chiomi, um, mm-hmm. And when she undresses, she reveals that she's covered from neck to toe in bruises. Yeah. To murder him, as we saw at the beginning of the film, Chiomi picks him up at a bar, has sex with him, slits his throat, and then calls Soko to tell her that the deed is done, basically. And now we're back at the very beginning of the manga, right? So Soko picks Chiomi up in her car, and they go on the run together. And Chiomi is also at this point kind of like, you shouldn't come get me. Like, I want you to be able to live your life. That's the whole point of this. I wanted to do something to help you so you could live and no one will hurt you anymore. And she doesn't quite get why Soko would come and be with her, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you're giving up everything to go on the run with me when you could just live your life completely free. And when also that's what she's expressing, right? Yeah. Um, Over the course of a while, they drive around to a few places. They first go to a beach town where they meet a woman whose baby recently drowned after she stepped out of the bathroom to take a phone call. And they try to talk this woman out of dying by suicide, but ultimately she chooses to drown herself too. Yeah. Um, They also go back to Soko's childhood home, which has been abandoned after Soko's abusive father died. And they just keep traveling after this, and they know that the police are after them. And the whole time that this is happening, their relationship dynamic is really intensifying. Soko attempts suicide. Chiomi uh, actually attacks Soko after Soko pretends that she's called the police on Chiomi. Mm -hmm. Um, Then she later says, well, I was just faking it because I knew that if it was actually the police, you need to be scared of me in order for that to work so that you'll stay safe. Like, I was going to frame it like I I kidnapped you. So that you could be out of prison. I don't know how true that is. And I think that it's I, intentionally that we're supposed to not know exactly how true that is. It's intentionally vague. Chiomi's yeah. very in- interesting 
just as like an aside, they go and visit Chiomi's girlfriend and stay yes. at, at that house for a night. And uh, the girlfriend's making dinner and like doesn't include certain ingredients because uh, she's like, Chiomi doesn't like those. And later on, um, Soko asks Chiomi, hey, is there any food you don't like? And and Chiomi just says no. So she's like, I don't know. She keeps her she keeps her cards very close. I, I did think that that she was being honest, though, in that yeah. moment. But it's hard yeah. to tell. It is. It's kind of it's definitely very hard to tell. She I mean, she lies consistently. She lies about the ring, which we'll get yeah. to. Um, so they're also in addition to this, these like two Soko suicide attempt, Chiomi attacking Soko, the two of them both, but particularly Soko, are constantly verbally degrading one another. Um, particularly with Soko degrading Chiomi, saying that she wished that her husband had killed her so that both of them would be out of her life. Oh, yeah. Um, but she's also, they're also both consistently drawn to one another despite this. It's like they're, their fates are very intertangled and neither one can leave the other. Yeah. Eventually they end up in a situation where they have nowhere to go. Um, no money, no shoes, on a cold night outside, no car. Soko is sick, too. And Chiomi cracks and she calls her brother and asks for help. He, his wife, and their four children come to pick up the two women to try to keep them safe and also to try to convince them to turn themselves in. Chiomi is really excited to reconnect with her nephews and her niece and they get to have dinner together and they're so excited to see their big auntie. It's a good family reunion moment. But at the same time, her brother and her sister-in-law don't really understand what Chiyomi sees in Soko, and they don't know why she would choose to throw away her life because she's a veterinarian uh, with a very, again, picture-perfect relationship with her girlfriend. They don't get why she would throw that all away just to murder this woman's husband for her. They try to talk her into leaving Soko and turn and to get them both to turn themselves in to the police, mm -hmm. but Chiyomi declines. And it's at this moment that her brother breaks the news that her girlfriend has actually died while they've been on the run. Yeah. It was an accidental death, and she drowned in the bathtub after drinking. Uh, she had just moved to Tokyo to try to get away, get, get some distance, you know, start, you know, finding a new life since she knows that Chiomi has left her. Uh, and she unfortunately drowned in the bathtub. He tells Chiomi that that this was actually suicide. So he lies to her because he thinks that this will make her feel so guilty that she'll recognize that she did the wrong thing and yeah. she'll turn herself in. However, this really backfires on him because it only causes her to latch onto Soko harder because as she describes it, Soko is all that she has in this world at this point. Mm -hmm. Her brother gives Chiomi the ring that her girlfriend was going to propose to her with and Chiomi later goes back to her and Soko's room with the ring on, and Soko's like, what is that? And Chiomi lies and says that she found it, and she makes a big show of throwing it in a pond to show how meaningless it is to her, that it doesn't affect her at all. Meanwhile, she's crying, yeah. um, obviously, because this is heartbreaking news. And later on, Soko realizes that this was actually the engagement ring from her girlfriend, 
And on this cold, dark night, when she's already sick, she climbs into the pond desperately to try to find the ring. She's like, stupid Shiomi, why would you throw away something that's so meaningful? Something that someone that loved you so much would give you? Like, why would you yeah. do this? She, first of all, she's unsuccessful. She can't find the ring. And we get a few panels where her hand brushes right over it and she misses it. I um, know. God. Really showing that, like, you know, it's it's lost. It's not this... Her, just like her life is lost, right? There's nothing that we can do to get this back at this point. Oh, God. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> murder me. On this cold, dark night, she gets hypo- mild hypothermia from being out there. Chiomi's brother finds her and brings her inside and helps her warm up while Chiomi is passed out cold from drinking. He, you know, he undresses Soko to put her into dry clothes and he realizes how bruised she is from her husband's abuse. And it's something that he hadn't really realized before. And yeah. he confesses to her that he actually lied about the suicide. And Chiomi overhears this because she was actually awake and pretending to be asleep. Yeah. So that is a particularly hard scene. Shortly after all of this, Chiomi's sister-in-law agrees to give the two women the car if they never contact their family again after this. Her brother is like, why would you do that? They needed to go turn themselves in. And Asami, the sister-in-law, reveals that she had also seen Soko's bruising. And she's basically like, like it or not, this woman is Chiomi's family now. And she was really being harmed. I would kill for my family to protect them. Wouldn't you do the same thing to protect like me or our children? Yeah. Um, I saw that Chiomi had it in her eyes that she would literally die for this woman. So let's let the two of them go and they're going to work this out on their own. Mm-hmm. So the two of them go out for like one last adventure to spend a little bit more time together before they turn themselves in. So they've 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 talked about it. They've agreed they're going to turn themselves in. And while they're out and about, they have very passionate sex, which ends with Soko asking Chiomi to kill her. Chiomi says that she could kill her because she would do literally anything for her. But she really doesn't want to kill her because she doesn't want to have to live in a world without her. Yeah. And Soko tells Chiomi that she wants to die by suicide if Chiomi doesn't kill her. So she's like, well, I'm going to kill you so that you don't have to live in a world without me. Mm-hmm. And she goes to strangle Chiomi and she asks her if she has any final words. And Chiomi basically says, and this is paraphrased, I want you to know that I didn't kill him so that I could have sex with you right now. The true, the actual truth is that I just got to have sex with a woman that I love so much that I would kill someone for her. Soko backs off and is like, I obviously I can't fucking go through with it. Like you love yeah. me this much. Like I would never. Yeah. And Chiomi is like, no one is ever going to hurt you again. Yeah. And now we get to the ending which is where the manga and the film drastically differ once again. So in the manga, that interaction, both of the women are like, all right, you know, this is it. This is the moment. They walk into a police station. They willingly turn themselves in, realizing that if they serve their time, they might be able to reunite later in life or just move on with their lives from here. And that this will be the best outcome for the both of them. Yeah. In the film, they both agree to continue traveling together, but they end up getting caught by the police. So Ray or Chiomi, she's put in the back of the cop car while Nanae or Soko is physically restrained by officers and she screams, I will wait for you. Well, Ray had called the police to turn to tell them where they were. Oh, I missed that. 
Okay, no, yeah. I shouldn't have missed that. That was a big scene. I don't know why I missed that she was calling the police. I was like, oh, why yeah. is she walking up to this payphone? <laughs> why are we watching a scene of five minutes of her ambling, slowly ambling, walking up to a payphone? so slow as your hand <laughs> hovers over the 1.5 speed button on Netflix? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. I don't know. I blocked that out of my memory That's because fine. it was so That's- long. But it was, it was like... so it was so long to just absolutely kind of like gut the emotional ending of this movie. <laughs> uh damn. Yeah. Oh god, there's so much there's so much to talk about. I know. I would like to start with talking just a little bit about Nakamura Ching and intent author authorial intent. Yes. If that's okay. At the very, very end of the manga, there's a brief page where she describes what the title means to her. Because, as I said, the title is Gunjo, which means ultramarine blue, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what could that possibly have to do with the story? And she admitted that she kind of chose the title on a whim uh, because she thought it sounded nice. But uh, one thing about the word Gunjo is that it's made up of two kanji. The first kanji you can write the kanji two different ways and it will still have the same meaning. There's a common reading and there's a less common reading. In the common reading, the kanji has two radicals or like smaller characters that are placed side by side. But in the less common reading, those two radicals are stacked on top of one another, making them look very squished and compressed. Mm. And she chose to use the less common writing of Gunjo. And she said the reason that she chose this was that she liked when the radicals were stacked because it really highlighted the power imbalance, Um, Mm. highlighting that there is a a significant power imbalance in this relationship and also that this story should feel weighty, pressuring and suffocating like you're being crushed when you're reading it. It absolutely does. Yeah. Um, she also said, she ultimately said the name has no meaning, but if she were to give it a retroactive meaning, the second kanji, uh, which means blue, it's also commonly used to mean youth. And the title really reflects the heaviness, right, of carrying your youth with you. And like Mm -hmm. the inescapability of the things that you do in your youth and how foundational that is. Um, Oh my god, which that's just Shoko's life in a nutshell. (laughs) Yes. And that you still are carrying your youth when that time should be over now. Yeah. Right? She definitely did not intend to make this a healthy relationship, obviously. Like, it's supposed to feel absolutely horrible and soul-crushing to read. Yes. Holy shit. Also, on that same page, she admitted that she was listening to AKB48 while she was writing it, which is like a pop idol group. And I thought it was weird that I was listening to Mariah Carey while I read this. Oh, you know? (laughs) But you know what? If she was listening to AKB48 while she was writing it, I think I'm fine. It all comes together. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Nakamura Ching. Nakamura Ching. Thank you so much for writing this. (laughs) Theming in the manga in particular is pervasive. Mm Mm-hmm. This is one of those series where I feel like I could read it, like, multiple times and pick out different themes 
that matter to me every single time I would read it. I just read it the once, but I am excited to like, I know I'm going to revisit this in like two or three years, you know? Yeah. You know, reread it and have probably a completely different take and opinion on it then. Oh my God. Well, I first read this in, it must've been like 2010-ish. And not all the chapters were scanlated at that point. The, The manga wasn't even finished. So I only read like the first five chapters I think I definitely got to the point where they were at the house and Chiomi like smashes the bottle um in order to freak out Soko uh but I did not remember how dark this was just like (laughs) number one the first chapter they end up picking up this uh like Gyaru girl who is on a quest to have sex with her friend uh, because the guy that she likes, she found out that he doesn't like virgins and, and she's a virgin. She's just like stumbling upon her way. She like doesn't have her, any money. She doesn't know how to get mm-hmm. around. But also she doesn't even like this guy. And the guy that she's interested in does not have her on his radar and won't just because she's had sex with somebody else. Yeah. Like and it's, we get to see later a few panels of her talking to the guy and it's clear that he doesn't even consider her like a possible relationship option and he yeah. never would. Yes. But she's so into him. That is then juxtaposed between the reveal of Soko showing that she's absolutely fucking covered in blood from murdering the husband. Chiyomi. And you just... Chiomi, sorry. Thank you. And you, it just fucking punches you in the face. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. We were talking about themes and then I derailed. No, 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 no. That's fine. I actually, I wanted to talk about also virginity as a theme too. Yeah, because that yeah. is something that comes up. It's all in that one chapter where mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Chiomi is like, also, I can't believe I gave my virginity to that guy. Right. Yeah. When it's like she had been having sex with her girlfriend for all these yeah. years. Um, it's, I. I don't know. I, I thought that that was really interesting because, like, obviously, if you've had sex with a woman, you're not a virgin, um, IMO. But I do know that I think that it's kind of something about the grief of that moment of, like, I have now had sex with a man that yes. just kind of is, like, the one-two punch of, like, holy shit, you are not only covered in blood, you are also covered in stabbed wounds because he fought back. And then the kind of, like, breakdown of uh chiomi then revealing oh yeah he he tried to kill me when i slit his throat yeah oh my god yeah yeah the gyaru girl and it's so interesting too because soko kind of takes a liking to her more than Uh chiomi does right yeah (laughs) um and she's obviously a clear parallel to chiomi um Mm -hmm. one of the themes that i definitely think is most prominent is like a very unexplainable and like immutable form of love right where it's like everyone is telling you that this person is wrong for you but you're not going to give up on that Mm -hmm. right and i think that that is an idea that a lot of people who have been in abusive relationships can really relate to but if you take it out of that context and just generalize it it's something that queer people in general relate to having heard that same rhetoric from homophobic society homophobic family like chiomi has the perfect life right she has like a loving girlfriend three dogs a cute house a wealthy family but she loves soko anyway and everyone is telling her that she shouldn't 
like sound familiar gay people i don't i don't know how else to say it like so many people have that experience of thinking that they have the perfect life and that like falling in love with someone who is wrong for you will ruin it in this case it actually does but yeah yeah so is chiomi in love with soko no maybe not but i do find that there's sometimes just a person where you have like this attraction to them and Mm -hmm. it is just kind of like adoration and maybe a little bit of obsession. Um, right. But it, it's very real. And it's hard to get rid of. And I know a couple people who struggle with that. There are like mm-hmm. people in their lives where they're like, I don't know why, but this person, I still really like them and cannot get them out of my life. Yeah. Even though sometimes those people are like, sometimes like not that great of friends. Or it's just kind of awkward because you're kind of like a little bit in love with them. <laughs> Right. Yeah. In a situation of like an abusive relationship in particular, that's so hard to navigate because it's like, would your life be better if this person was not in it? Yes. But how hard is it to cut them out when you still have that like undeniable attraction? Really, really, really fucking hard. Um, Yeah. And I think that this is one of those stories that kind of showcases that complexity while also contrasting it with the same kind of pattern mirrored in what your family and friends and society tell you about just being gay right oh yeah totally yeah Yeah. um oh my god there's so there's so much there's so much (laughs) i know (laughs) Ah. um okay let you were saying that chiomi does she really love soko i want to talk about savior complexes Mm, yeah because pity is also a huge theme yes self-immolation and pity and when i say self-immolation i mean like sacrificing your entire life to help someone so chiomi gives up all the money she has she's always offering herself to do whatever it is that soko asks even if it's killing her husband she completely gives up all of her own desires to the point where she doesn't really even have them anymore yeah and it's all done in the name of protecting soko right Mm -hmm. when soko doesn't react the way that she expects her to about all of this which is with gratitude and love and chiomi like she falters big time before she kind of gets over it at the end of the at the end of the series yeah she continues to offer that unconditional support while soko is just like berating her and berating her until she gets to a point where she can't take it anymore and she blows up and she's like soko i never loved you i just pitied you that's the only reason i ever helped you're yeah. so pitiable and weak everyone wants to hurt you because you're you just suck so much mm-hmm. and she admits that she only ever wanted to save her from that so that she could feel good about herself for doing it right, right? It's so funny, too, because then there's the reveal of Soko being like, the only reason I picked you up from that bridge is because I thought that you were in the same position as me. I pitied you. I thought that you didn't have anything to go back to. I didn't know about your girlfriend. I didn't know about your your extended family and your nieces and nephews that you love. Like, I thought we yeah. were the same. <laughs> we are not. We yeah. are. Uh. And after that conversation later, both of them are like, well, all right. Um, and Chiomi's like, I, I guess I was kind of upset. I didn't really mean that. Like, I really do kind of love you anyway. And then they have sex. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh once God. you can find some of that equal footing, right? Like, that's another big theme is power imbalance. Yeah, totally. Um, and this is so interesting because this was a scene that I never, 
when I like I first read it and I was like I don't understand this scene um and then I watched the basically like the same scene in the movie and then I was like okay I kind of I feel like I get this more there's a scene where Chiomi gets in a taxi and the taxi driver is talking to her and then gets a boner and starts to come on to her and Chiomi is receptive quote unquote she like she gives him a blowjob and they maybe have sex and then he ends up giving her money and uh when she gets out of the car and she's like very obviously like disassociating through all of this yeah and at first i was like this is like why was this included but how i understand that scene now is that we're at a point in the story where chiomi is so divorced from any of her own wants and needs and even like her own personality that like when she's faced with something uh Mm -hmm. like this she's just like sure like i'll go around along with this and there's a line in the movie that i can't remember if it's in the manga or not but shiomi basically says like as long as i'm accepted i don't care if i'm misunderstood and that's just kind of like her character in a nutshell yeah absolutely and it's, it's such an interesting contrast in how she grew up from when she was in school, when she was like, yeah, I'm gay, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, like when she was actually able to be open about herself. Right. And she's even rejected by her own parents. I can't remember. Yeah, that was in, that was in both the manga and the movie where yeah. she takes her girlfriend to her parents in order to be accepted. And they, they're like, no, you're just confused. And another, actually, another theme, too, is the idea of, like, I always knew that you were gay. That happens multiple (laughs) times with the brother, Chiomi's brother, and also with Chiomi's girlfriend's family of having that coming out moment where it's like, I'm making the decision. I'm going to tell you that I'm gay. And it's like, oh, we already knew that. Like, I love the girlfriend's mom, though. Yeah. I love all the scenes with her. There is a chapter about the the girlfriend in kind of the middle of the manga where it shows that she was going to introduce Chiomi as her girlfriend to her parents. uh, And then Chiomi ended up uh, running off with Soko after the murder and she is unable to do that. And she had initially told her parents that it was like her boyfriend. I'm not sure if that was like a translation thing with just like using some kind of gender neutral thing or whatever i i kind of doubt it but yeah uh and then it's in a a later chapter that also focuses on the girlfriend where the the mom is like actually was this guy you were going to introduce us to actually a boy i knew that you guys were dating because i've seen you together and i've seen how you interact with each other and you interact like people who are dating and that's Mm -hmm. how i knew and I thought I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Uh, she and then the girlfriend is like crying and being like you won't get grandchildren and the mom's like it doesn't matter like I have you. It's like fuck dude like damn. I know. And then she she, then, and then she, she accidentally dies. dies. Her death I, actually I would love to talk about her death. As it's juxtaposed with if you'll recall me talking about the woman in the early chapter whose baby drowned in the mm-hmm. bathtub. Yeah. So there are two accidental drownings in the series, mm-hmm. that, and both of which are implied to have occurred, right, due to a lack of attention from their loved ones. The baby who was drowned because mom left the room to take a phone call, 
and Chiyomi's girlfriend who was drowned after Chiyomi left her for Soko. I think that this is also later mirrored in the scene where Soko is diving in the pond, because this is an instance where she could have passed out from hypothermia and drowned. Yeah. Um, but this really flips the the narrative because this is the moment that she like looks to reality and sees what Chiomi has given up to be with her. And she's like, holy shit. Like, mm-hmm. it, like it all kind of hits her all at once. So. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Um, with Oh my god, the baby drowning though is so sad because the in that chapter you do not know that the the baby drowned in a bathtub because the mom took a phone call. It like the mom is acting like she intentionally murdered her child. That's how she talks about it. And then we find out that okay, the baby drowned in the bathtub when she took a phone call. Phone calls don't take very long. It was her just declining to go to her uh, high school reunion and then just kind of like saying and chatting for just a, a minute. But her family blames her for the death, which is what causes this like guilt about it. So I don't know. Actually, in my head, uh, that death and the girlfriend's death like reside in very different spots. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about the mother and her drowning here. I was just uh, thinking about the baby's drowning, not about her drowning Oh. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah. Internalized homophobia. Let's talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Soko spends so much of this manga being like, ew, this disgusting lesbian that I am so disgusted in. I have no interest in being around you at all. You are so sickening. Right. And then then she is out there having lesbian sex and she's like, man, this is a lot of work, but it's pretty good though. Yeah. (laughs) In the manga, this is just like an aside basically that Chiyomi has. But, like, before she went and murdered the husband, they did have sex at some point. That's not how it's depicted in the movie, but she's like, we had sex, and it was pretty good. She's like, I'm not normally into that sort of thing, but whatever. Oh, yeah, Chiomi liked it, though. Oh, yeah, Chiomi, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, A part of this is that Soko is so close off because of abuse that she didn't want to let anyone in or open herself up at all to any experience that she could possibly enjoy. And said for her entire life, she had to be focused on survival, right? Which is mm-hmm. why she married the husband to pay back Chiomi for the debt. <sighs> Completely survival focused. It isn't until they have like a brief moment of safety where she can start thinking about like what it is that she wants. Right. And yeah. realizing that she has gay thoughts. Yeah. Gay thoughts, um, baby. Track team. That's pretty gay. Yeah. I think along with that, the last like big theme that I can think of is about victim blaming and just generally the effects of abuse. Yeah. As I said earlier, some of the characters are like, Chiomi, how could you possibly love Soko? She's like so wrong for you. She's so messed up. Like, just look at her. And yeah. that is like so awful. It feels yeah. it feels terrible every single time mm-hmm. that that happens because it's like Soko is a woman who's been through so much shit. Yeah. Honestly, I'm grateful that they showed that Soko reacted to all of this in a very complex way. Um, yes. Because recovering from abuse, especially immediately after you find some modicum of safety, right? Like, immediately after her husband is killed. It's not always just, like, crying alone, having a sob story, being gentle and sweet, and, like, I'm finally no. safe. Most of it Soko only knows abuse, and so she yeah. reacts with that because that's literally all that she knows 
right? Yeah. And that's not an excuse for all of the fucked up shit that she does, but it's a very clear and obvious explanation that I think mm-hmm. Nakamura gets across very adeptly, honestly. Yeah. Man, it's it's really interesting to see the chapters where Soko is interacting with the brother and sister-in-law because she is just like they say shit about her and she's like you know you just kind of see it she's like yeah like fuck yeah you're right yeah yeah (laughs) she's like you hate me i hate me too (laughs) honestly yeah and that sucks yeah she has so much internalized hatred and then that ends up externalizing onto everyone else around her again understandably it's very sad too that her we were talking about like having your youth defined you and how she her mother left her father because the father was abusive and so then the the father became abusive to his daughter and started beating her and then she like found a guy who was rich and wanted to marry her and immediately wanted to take that in order to like escape from her father um and also not have any more money problems but then she ends up in another abusive relationship but kind of sees it as like this is just how it is like she says both in the manga and in the movie like i am being beaten just for existing yeah also chiomi may not be physically abusive but the severe power imbalance in their relationship only is another factor in all of this too because like she is constantly feeling indebted to her because of what she does because she loves her right it's like a little bit of that like i'm gonna do whatever i can to make you happy blah 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 like just throw it all out and soko's like no like i don't want this like leave me be and shiomi's like no i'm gonna do this for you oh my god because like soko's been carrying the receipt of um the, oh my god when they were at the cafe together um <laughs> when she paid back the money and at first like i at least how i remember in the manga is like you see that as a reader before it's kind of like explained really and i was like mm-hmm. oh man she's like secretly in love with chiomi that's why she kept that receipt and then later on she's like no i kept this receipt because that was the first time like i felt equal to you and i wanted to remember that yes. and i was like damn dude and that is also paralleled because at the same time that chiyomi throws the ring she also accidentally uses those coins from the leftover coins from that lunch yeah to buy soko a bento yeah and And then soko was like i'm not i don't fucking eating this (laughs) yeah she didn't know that chiyomi bought it actually with that money and then after she realizes she's like i wish i'd eaten it yeah. She's like, I wish I had not thrown that bento away. That, like, had so much significance. I wish I had I know, it, she, that she that fishes out of the trash. I know. And tries to eat it. And then they're like, why are you eating that? And then she throws up. <laughs> this, I know. We haven't even talked about how fucking, like, gritty the, the art is. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God, it is. They look so good. Oh. That was, like, one thing that could never translate into film is just how they look. Like, they're only in their 30s, like, early 30s, late 20s, but both of them are in the manga. I don't know. There's just, like, something about them where it's, like, especially with Soko, like, she just looks like she's seen shit because she has. (laughs) And, like, I don't know. There's no... I don't think there's somebody that you could cast that would show so much that the... Show as much that the art does words 
word's good. I think that there are some casting decisions that they could have made. Actually, I would love to talk about the movie, actually, and particularly the casting. Let's use the casting to transition into talking about the movie broadly. The woman that they cast is Rei, or Chiyomi. She is named Kiku Mizuhara. She is an American and Japanese model. Um, She's Hafu. In the manga, Chiyomi is canonically Hafu, and I was like, they're just going to cast a Japanese actress to play her, but they did not. She also is a, so she's a model and she's a fashion designer. And she told NBC in an interview that the reason that she wanted to star in Ride or Die is because she's previously dated women herself. And nice. so she like related to it and wanted to get a chance to to be in the movie. Cool. Also, I think it's funny just to note, so she's made, so as a fashion designer, she's made some collections for UNIF and for opening ceremony. And that opening ceremony collection kind of went viral. And it was worn by both Rihanna and Beyonce. And Beyonce in particular went viral for this pizza outfit, which I've posted in our our chat. It's so fucking good. (laughs) It is just leggings and a cropped sweatshirt that are covered in pizzas. Uh, it's pepperoni pizza close up. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, the the top is a little more tasteful. It's like a polka dot pattern, but pepperonis. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom is very clearly pepperoni leggings. Yeah. But yeah anyway, so she so leggings. she's done some some collections that have been worn by celebrities. I love that. Yeah, this is a, a very big issue of contention in the film reviews for Ride or Die. Ride or Die, the movie, was directed by a man named Ryuichi Hiroki, who a lot of people don't like just on the basis that he is a man who has made a movie about lesbians, which is fair. I think Mm -hmm. it's fair to hate a lot of movies that are made by men about lesbians. I don't think that that's what makes this movie not that good, honestly. Ryuichi, uh, in the 80s, he was a very prominent director of pink films, which is like softcore pornography. But apparently at some point, he briefly moved to the U.S. where he studied at the Sundance Institute. And then when he went back to Japan, he transitioned into making art films and some mainstream book-to-movie films. So today, after that long history, he's apparently best known for making movies with female leads that have a lot to do with sexual empowerment and that really are good character studies of female characters, which I think is probably why he was one of the picks to do this movie, because of incredibly deep female characters about sexual empowerment, etc. Would this movie have opened with such a focus on the husband, though, if it had been directed by a woman? No. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Um, Yeah. This movie, at at the time that we're recording this, it has a 2.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. There's a lot of infighting in the reviews. I would not recommend looking at it unless you're really curious. But a lot of it is just like, all men should die. (laughs) (laughs) Men shouldn't be allowed to make movies. You can tell that a man wrote this because no man would ever write women like this. Or no woman would ever write Uh, a woman like this. Yeah, I... Man, and who knows what exactly they mean by that (laughs) i think that a lot of people don't know that this is based on a manga and i think that that also is due to the fact that this was a netflix original so people are like wow like a netflix original movie of course i'll watch it not knowing anything about the history of the manga that was published 10 years before what (laughs) ride or die kind of makes sense as a title because you know they're in it together, but um, not really. Actually, that it doesn't actually make sense. This title is what if I'm it saying. was called Ultramarine, it still would have been fine. Yeah, 
We don't need um, the title to make perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love gritty fucking lesbian things. I like I yes. we don't we don't get as much of it. Like I want I want a lesbian picking out a fucking bento from the fucking trash and then throwing up after she got hypothermia i'm like murdering <laughs> murdering her crush's like husband yes. you we've talked about it before but you don't get as gritty of female characters um i think in part because there is one part of women are like the fairer sex and mm-hmm. delicate and a woman wouldn't do this blah 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 but also on the other side of that you also get that because women are abused in this way it can be a little more visceral to see like a woman getting beat up and Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of like i don't know what's what's the word like if you see a man getting beat up it's like that's okay but you see a woman getting beat up and like it's like that's not okay i guess that's just sexism isn't it right i think that most of the dark gritty sapphic media that we get usually ends up being like a barrier gaze too yeah um we just fucking did killing eve and we just did killing eve (laughs) killing eve honestly there's so much in this that i wish that we got to see in killing eve of like two women who like are kind of disgusted by one another but also inexplicably and completely drawn to one another where it's like i cannot escape you i'm obsessed with you i'm in love with you like and then suffering as a result of that right it's not healthy for them but it's also just an interesting character study to watch um totally i think that and everyone's gonna say this right and i'm not complaining about it because i think that there are perks to it but a lot of times these a lot of people approach media analysis now through a lens of what is the morals that it promotes yes right um, the purity which, police, <laughs> which in many instances, I am not at all opposed to. But when it yeah. comes to queer expression, it's like, let queer people mm-hmm. make whatever the fuck they want. Yes. Like, let oppressed people, people who face oppression in any regard, make media about that expression, about that oppression that they've experienced in a critical, analytical way that is complex, that encourages us right. to really think and talk about it. Like, what was the, when was the last time that we had this much to actually discuss? Oh yeah, about totally. a piece of media that we've yeah. that we've watched, Aaron. Totally. I, this is a genuine um, question. Are, are we going to talk about we... what was that like the what was the Christmas movie we watched? <laughs> season of Love. <laughs> yeah, are we going to talk about Season of Happy Love? Happy season. Like no, Happy season. Fuck. No, it is Season of Love though that I was thinking of. Okay, well, Happy season. We had a lot to talk about because it was complex. Yeah, right? that's true. Um, <laughs> man. I didn't yeah, like Happy I, Season, but I'm not shitting on it. It's no, fine. It's fine. There wasn't even that much to talk about in that, though. It was pretty, like, it was pretty tame. Yeah. Internet discussions about, like, what are the morals, what is good, what is bad, especially around what is good and what is bad, representation can get very, very toxic. What was that terrible lesbian killer movie that we watched that was directed by a man? What keeps you alive? What keeps you alive? I hated what keeps you alive, but I want it to exist. We need we need all the lesbians we can get. We need bad representation. We need good representation. We just need more. Because that was one of the things we talked about with Happiest Season. Like, it was hard for it to be the first. Or at yes. least, like, one of the firsts. Yeah. So, like, and Season of e- Love. Both of them. Both of them. So, like, get more out there and then... 
and then it's not so hard to get more out there. Yeah, I yeah, I completely agree. Also, what keeps you alive? Part of the reason we really hated it was that it was written by a man about mm-hmm. a heterosexual couple, about a man yeah. murdering his wife, and then he was like, "But wouldn't it be fun and titillating if it was lesbians?" And then it was like, "Oh God!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that I I still have an issue with. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. It's- but I uh, to piggyback off of that, ride or die. Like, it shouldn't have had a male director, in my opinion. No, you had queer yeah. leads queer lead actresses, queer manga creator, a female scriptwriter, let a woman direct it. Yeah. At the same time, like so many people I saw were like you sh- you shouldn't watch Ride or Die because a-, a much better movie is The Handmaiden. I'm like that's a movie that has the exact same fucking problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> if not that's worse, so that feels even more that movie oh actually really feels male gazy. I love The Handmaiden. I say this from a place of love. That movie yeah. feels very male gazy. We're having hot takes. <laughs> what? One one thing, yeah. This is this is a spicy episode. Oh God! Speaking of male gazy, I guess stuff. Do you want to talk about the sex scene a little bit in Ride or Die at the end? The lesbian sex scene. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God! It was kind of hilarious. In the final sex scene of the movie, movie Chiomi says to movie Soko. That like, oh, it's too bad that I just have my fingers because my fingers can't fill you up. Yeah. I was like, ew. Well, but also, she says that the in fuck? the manga too, right? I know, but also, um, what? <laughs> I guess because... I th- consider this to be another internalized homophobia moment. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just funnier kind of in the movie because then she eats her out for like 10 seconds <laughs> And then, which I was like, oh, cool. They're actually showing her eating her out. Um, And then they, like, just kind of, like, hump a little bit after that. And so I, like, I know that you can't really show the sex scene. But the fact that there's so many, like, single takes in this and that Mm -hmm. is one of them, it just, like... That's not how women have sex. Yeah. Also, I mean, the context was totally different about the, like, I I can only use my fingers in the manga because Shiomi is, like... I wish that I could, like, hug you and hold you yeah. with my hands, yeah. but my hands are preoccupied. Right. Um, which we don't get that, you know? Yeah. Actually, speaking of long takes that completely destroyed scenes, I have a list. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me with it. The opening shot is this uh, scene where we're following Ray down into a bar that's, like, slightly underground. It's really cool at first. I was like, wow, this is a really cool opening scene because it kind of looks like we're like just behind her, like also going to the bar. But then when she sits down, the shaky cam persists. The shaky cam is so annoying. This was one of the, this was the first thing I wrote down. I feel sick. What, yes. Like, like watching. Oh my god! Literally, things with a shaky hand camera make me feel like I'm going to throw up. I hate like found footage films because mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm gonna puke. This was the experience for most of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! I guess one of the only shots I really liked was when Soko goes to pick up Chiomi. She doesn't know exactly where she is. She just knows she's on a bridge, and so she. She drives out to find her, and in that, she sees her on the bridge, and so then she's going in the wrong direction, and so she 
she drives past in order to turn around in order to go the right way. And then so we get to focus on Chiomi walking like towards the camera and then you get to see um, Shoko like pull up and and be able to pick her up in her car after that, which I thought was a really cool shot. Shots that I thought really fucking ruined the impact by having to be these long takes is the shoplifting scene where yeah. instead of Chiomi and Soko going into the store together, Chiomi's outside watching Shoko and then realizes that she's shoplifting and we're seeing her from the outside of the building and then we see her like run out and run down the street. Like that did not add anything to that scene except kind of lessen the impact of yeah. them being in a store together and then the reveal of Chiomi realizing like, oh wait, like Soko did actually shoplift. Like what the fuck? And them having to kind of deal with that in the moment. Mm -hmm. The same thing with the like, I called the police scene. This did not happen like in a long take. It's, it's like the start of a long take, but they're in a flashback. And then we come back to the present. Soko says to Chiomi, oh, I called the police, and that's when Chiomi gets mad at her. And in the manga, we see Soko use the phone, and then we get that scene later. And so you think that she actually did call the police, but in the movie, we don't get that scene. So it's just like out of nowhere, she's like, I called the police. And it's like, what? Yeah. Did that annoy you as much as it annoyed me? It was pretty annoying. Yeah. The thing that I was compelled to make a list of were the missing scenes that I wish they had chose to include. Oh, yeah. Um, particularly everything to do with the nieces, the niece and the nephews. Yeah. Um, because yeah. that was a very, we haven't talked about them a lot, but that was very mm -hmm. humanizing, I think, for Chiomi. Yes. But also yeah. at the same time showing that, like, Chiomi is excellent at leading, like, a double life, right? Totally, totally. Um, I hate to say that I missed this, but I did the, everything to do with the girlfriend's death because the girlfriend does not die in the movie. Yeah, which um, they even set up her dying by in the beginning of the movie. She's like drinking in the bathtub and Chiomi comes in and is like, you really shouldn't drink in the bathtub. This is such a bad habit of yours. Uh, yeah, I fully expected that they would kill her. Maybe the yeah. reason they didn't is because fan backlash was so harsh about Maybe. it that they were like we don't want to kill her it would be like senseless to kill her i almost wonder if nakamura ching had some input on that decision oh yeah maybe and along with that accompanying the girlfriend's death the ring scene is a scene that is sorely missed because yeah. that is a scene where you really get to see how much soko loves chiomi without that scene i think that it is a harder sell um, yeah. I also think that in general, Soko comes across much softer in the film than she does yeah. in the manga. And she comes across way less conniving and heartless at times. Absolutely. Um, Both of them kind of come off softer. There's a lot of scenes of them just like hanging out, giggling and laughing, which right. doesn't totally make sense in any way. It's a big way. disconnect. Yeah. Uh, they... When they steal the car in order to run off again um, before they turn themselves in, they immediately start giggling and laughing in the car. 
Yeah. One thing that I was excited for with this movie, but that ended up just feeling really weird, is that uh, the, all the music was done by Haruomi Hosono. He's a very, very famous Japanese musician who is credited as founding, if not inspiring, city pop and Shibuya K, the music genres. Mm. He was the founder of Yellow Magic Orchestra. He played in Happy End, and he's also done a whole lot of solo music. It's basically like if you went to watch an American movie, and it was like, and who did the soundtrack? Paul McCartney! Yeah. <laughs> It oh, like man. it makes it, in this context it like I was like wow Haruomi Hosono did the soundtrack that's going to be so cool I love his music and then watching it it was like no this is weird like it's too folksy it's too sweet and like demure at times I wish that they had like had corn do the music anything oh yeah let's go. anything would have been better <laughs> <laughs> Oh geez. And this is coming from a Haruomi Hosono fan. Yeah. Yeah. The only bit of music that I noticed was they have the cardigans uh Love Me, Love Me, Say That You Love Me. Oh my god. Song. There was also this song that I, I thought was a popular song, but come to find out it is not. It was just in this movie. It's like the scene where they're at the school, it's a flashback when they're in high school, and Nanae or Soko is running. And Rei or Chiomi, she's watching her from the window and she's drawing her while she's watching her. And yeah. the song called Can Imagine by Megan Smith plays, where it's like such a soft little folksy song. I cannot imagine even one day without you. I cannot imagine a forever without you. <laughs> You came and anchored me. You promised you'd always be my center of gravity. Like, um. <laughs> A little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh my god, speaking of that, that exact scene, Soko misses the first hurdle and knocks it over in that shot. But I guess they, because it has to be one take, I guess that was the best take that they got. And they keep it in. And they're like, wow, you got a new record. But she knocked over the first hurdle. Like, I don't think that counts. You know? Did you see that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That was really weird. It was really weird. Oh, there was the other error that I thought was really weird is that it's nighttime when a police officer comes and is like, hey, what you guys doing? And so they steal a motorcycle or like a motorbike. And then the next shot is it's daytime. And so I guess the implication is that a lot of time has passed. But again, because there's not a lot of quick cuts, it's just like long take to long take. Yeah. It does. You don't get that impact at all. Yeah. The police officer coming and chasing them and Soko losing their shoe that was another scene that is, is done much much better in the manga yeah um, uh, but we gotta it's been a while should we stop talking about i think this? i think we should start wrapping up yeah i agree my final opinion is that i don't think the movie is that bad but i wouldn't just watch it on its own yeah i, I think, think the manga's good yeah i don't think that you get anything from watching the movie that you that you miss from watching or I mean reading the manga so you might as well just read the manga and not watch the movie honestly yeah I think you can watch the movie if you want more or if you want a different so. take or opinion I feel like I I use the movie time to sit on it you know mm. think about it a little more really mull it over you got two and a half hours 
and a lot of still shots, <laughs> you can take yeah. your time to think about it, you know? <laughs> I-, I gave it like a three and a half out of five. I think it's fine. I don't think it's like anything groundbreaking, but I'm glad no. that they made it because as I said, this manga had sat for like... 10 years before anything was done with the IP. And the other thing that we didn't even mention is that the manga ran from like 2007 to 2009. And then the magazine that it was getting published in actually canceled it. And so Nakamura Ching had to find another publisher for it in order to finish it to do the the final volume. Yeah. So there was a time gap. Mm. So it ran from like 2007 to 2009. And then I think like 2011 to 2012. So there was like a year or two where she wasn't, where she was probably working on it, but wasn't publishing it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, Um, I don't think this movie is worth watching. (laughs) I think if you, if you want to mull over the manga some more, just wait a month and then read the manga again. That's actually a good idea. I like that <laughs> idea. I yeah, I think the manga is really, really good. I think it's, it's so, so underrated. I read it over this past weekend and I was not in a great headspace and I will say that it did not it did not help. But if you're if you're feeling up to it, it's definitely worth a read. Just <laughs> Yeah. Heavy themes. Heavy themes. Some media is like media that's designed to be a challenge right yeah um yeah. and this is definitely one of those things where it is really geared to get you thinking about relationships and abuse and recovery and healing too because and also like how to heal wrong and how to heal correctly right is mm-hmm. was killing your husband the right choice that's debatable i think yeah. it's it's a thinker it's a thinker. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I'm. I also. I never would have heard of this if you hadn't brought it up to me. I don't think, which is yeah. saying something because I read a lot of lesbian manga. This, this so. was. I guess the other reason why this was kind of heavy was I was kind of like revisiting where I was in like 2010. In a yeah. way, I guess what I was doing in 2010 was I was going on Manga Fox and clicking psychological and then reading fucking everything in there. <laughs> but it was fun to revisit it, like, where I am now as a person, which is, like, it's been over 10 years um, yeah. versus, like, where I was then as a person. You were But I don't recommend youth. that. <laughs> hmm? You were carrying your youth around. I was carrying my youth around. Damn. God, that's so fucking true. We should do a podcast together. Fuck. You're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) You're so funny. Yeah, it's true, right? Like, she, Uh, she, Nakamura Ching, she had a lot of points. Oh, man. Fuck. The way that you had described this to me is like, this is the gritty Yuri that we all needed. This is not necessarily even gritty to me. It's trauma. This is, it's very, very psychological, very dark. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's designed again to be a thinker. And I I do think that Nakamoto Ching is really successful in showing that there's no right or wrong here. Yes. Yeah, totally. That's something that I really appreciated about it. Me too. Yeah. And at the same time, obviously not endorsing, condoning, or shaming any of the characters' actions. Yeah, totally. Man. Man, thank you. I'm so glad we got to do this one. Me too. Thanks for doing it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I want to tell you that you can email us at Aaron at 
gazegaze.com to send us thoughts, ideas, and recommendations. Or if you prefer, you can follow us on Twitter at gazegaze, and there you can tweet with us and interact with our tweets and slip into our DMs. You know, you always say slip into our DMs. (laughs) Why is that? There's no other way to interact with DMs in my mind. No, it's sliding. (laughs) Sliding into your DMs. It's not slipping? No, it's not slipping. (laughs) I've been slipping this whole time. No, it's sliding. Slipping up with my words. (laughs) You can slip into our DMs or you can slide. (laughs) You can slip and slide, honestly. We don't care. We just want to hear about what you think about lesbians. Yeah, Um, let us know if you read Gunjo. If you hadn't heard of it and you were uh, encouraged to read it, I would love to know your thoughts. I, I hope that if you do choose to read it, you don't find it to be too dark or heavy, but find it to be appropriatively engaging and speaking of engaging you can also engage with us on tumblr where we're at gaze gaze podcast which we're not using we're not using but you can also if you like this podcast please tell your friends about it and give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform Many thanks to Kate and Leslie of Neon and Nude for allowing us to use their songs Look in Love and You Pretty Thing for our intro and our outro music. You can and should buy their album at neonandnude.bandcamp.com, but you can also stream it on Spotify. Next week, we're going to be doing Sailor Moon. And um, my friend Ellie is going to be joining us, which I'm so excited about. Ellie is my friend from college. She and our friend Jenny co-host a podcast called Battle City Broads, which is a Uh Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast, which I have also guested on a couple of times. So if you're interested, you can go check out those episodes if you want to hear more of me. But also their podcast in general is just really fun. They do every week they post an episode that reviews one or two episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh! where they just like do a full breakdown They're both very funny and very sweet people. And Ellie is so smart. Ellie is like an information sponge. I respect her so much. She has so much knowledge in that brain of hers. I don't know how she does it. (laughs) So I'm so excited to talk with her about Sailor Moon. Man, me too. Yeah. All right. But until then, I'm Erin. And I'm Erin. And And we're we're gay. gay. That's all. That's all. Bye. Bye. If you love her like I love her